Hey y'all, this is Jessica. And this is Amy. And we are 1096 Crime Chicks. What, what? And we are back. Yes, we are. I think we start them all like that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so um, it's been a while. We've taken a little hiatus, but it's uh, good knowledge that our last episode on Diane Downs was our number one episode. Yes, it was. And it brought in a lot of downloads and uh, listens for us. Yeah. So we got a lot of new listeners too. We did. We did. Amy's been doing some marketing as well with a crime book club that we've joined. Yes. And so, um, yeah, she definitely got our name out there some more. And I think the Diane Downs episode did um, justice for us. Yeah. So shout out to our book club. Yes. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of that, April. Yes. So, so exciting. But yeah, so we have listeners from everywhere. We've had a total of uh, 7,692 listens. And um, the last 30 days was 1,037, which is huge for us because, you know, we're small. We're not that big. Right. And so, um, and the listeners from Ireland and Switzerland and uh, different countries. So, thank you all. And, of course, the United States is our number one. Of course. So, thank you all for that. So, one thing that we wanted to tell y'all. So, we've gotten some constructive criticism from some of our listeners. Just kind of, they have said that we kind of sound like we're reading and not really. And we are. <laughs> which we are. <laughs> but it's, it to them, it sounds like we're just completely reading and not really. It sounds rehearsed. Exactly. That's so, what it is. We're going to try to change things up and see if we can make it sound a little bit better. A little not rehearsed. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, this episode is going to be a little different, but um, give us your feedback when you're done listening to it and let us know if you like the new way or if you preferred the old way. Yeah. So, so um, I found this story on one of the podcasts that I listened to on their Facebook page and I sent it to Jess, and I was like, oh my gosh, we have to do this. So it's a story of Mary Stiles um, that was murdered back in 1985 in Baytown. So Jessica has some Baytown roots. Yes. <laughs> my sister was born in Baytown in 1989 in our house. We love you, Heather. Hi, sister. Yes, and my grandfather retired from Chevron in Baytown, which is mm-hmm. one of the three refineries there. Um, Baytown uh, is about 85,000 people right now, population. Back when this murder occurred, it was about 56,000. Um, so, it's grown tremendously. Yeah. It is the district's, uh, they have the primary support petroleum and petrochemical processing. Um, the Baytown refinery located there is the largest in the United States. That is so, so crazy. Yes. Uh, when you drive through Baytown, you see lots of refineries. And lots of big, tall bridges. Yes. Uh, yes. Big, tall bridges, too. So, it's also known as the home to some famous people. Uh, Ray Lynn from The Voice. I don't know if you knew her or not. And she's in country her. music now. I think she's made it pretty big. She's from there. Chris Cagle is from there. Gary Busey is from there. Renee Zellweger lived there for nine years before she had moved to Katy. Yes. And then, let's see, what was the other guy? William. William Broyles. Uh, he's an Oscar-winning screenwriter, and he's also co-founder of Texas Monthly, which we love. We love and Texas Monthly. Yep. So, um, anyways, it, it had some famous people root from there. So, yeah. good times. But this story that we're doing was back in 1985. It's about an 11-year-old little girl that had went missing. It's really a sad story. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of just shows how our justice system is not really 
serving the justice that is deserved right in certain crimes so amy you want to go ahead and start it all right so mary styles she was 11 years old and this was on halloween of 1985 and she was dressed up as a baby doll so she wore care bear pajamas which i think is so fun like the onesies yes anyways she was dressed up as a care bear or a baby wearing care bear pajamas and she was kind of hanging out with some friends and then never came home right right i think she wanted to go down to the office because they had candy down there and so she asked her dad you know can i go down there and get some candy and she'd went and then afterwards i guess the friends had left and she was playing with her baby doll and she just kind of up and disappeared from what they were saying so yeah so they were i mean obviously scared freaking out because they can't find mary she was one of two girls and then how many six brothers six brothers Mm -hmm. so she was one of eight so it was a very large, close-knit family, right. you know, from what I've seen. They were they were all very close with each other. Um, and then her brother and sister, they came home and, you know, said that, you know, Mary wasn't there. And by dinner time, I think they really started getting nervous, you know, like, where is she at? It started getting dark. This wasn't like her. Um, they didn't have any reason to believe that she would run away. Right. You know, so. They um, called 911. The police were amazing, especially, like, and you'll hear this later on, but, like, they had some amazing investigative tools that they used in 1985 that, I mean, I wouldn't have thought of no, things like that. No, so. they were definitely on top of their game back then, I think, with uh, how they handled that case. Right. You know, so. So, um, after nine days, so it was November the 9th, the Baytown Police Department got a letter in the mail, and it just said, urgent Mary Styles case, and it was, like, weird handwriting yeah like almost childlike handwriting and it had like the map in there that was childlike and it you know was basically a description of where they could find mary's body and it said you know she dropped a nickel at this location right you know go down the slope at this location you're gonna find blood at this location i mean it was the information that was given was could have only been given by the killer right there's no anybody else could. and i thought that it was really crazy because in the letter he you know said you know like you were saying about all the different things that they find but you know find her and get her a decent burial right like so you're crazy enough to kill somebody and then oh but i want her to have a decent burial right right which to me automatically shows it was a personal he knew her Mm -hmm. and maybe even an immaturity level of saying oh please give her a decent burial Right. Like, because he was young at heart and just, you know, even though he didn't have the right mind to think not to kill somebody, he had the right mind to think, please give her a decent burial. Right. So. And then it was signed, the madman who wishes he never was. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. And X marks the spot where her body was. Right. So the map ended up showing arrows pointing to the ditch that she was supposedly in. Um, it provided, you know, the accurate location. The police ultimately ended up locating Mary's body there. Uh, still wearing the Care Bear pajamas in a fetal position. And it was about 150 yards away from the apartment complex. So she was right there. Yeah. So she was right there. really sad. Okay, so Mary, (laughs) at 11, she's 5 foot 3 inches and she weighed 100 pounds. She was found. They did an autopsy. Uh, It revealed that she was killed shortly after she was last seen. And that's so sad to me, you know. She was out there by herself for that long. She said, it said that she was, or I'm sorry, the autopsy said that she was stabbed four times in the neck. 
She was asphyxiated with her own sock. It was jammed down her throat. That's horrible. And she had been strangled. Now, they could not officially say that she was sexually assaulted, but her pants were pulled down. Right. Um, And so, I don't think the medical examiner found any uh, traces or any evidence of sexual assault, but ultimately, I'm my heart, I felt like that was the ultimate goal. And maybe when it came to that point, it was just too late. So right. she also had some defensive wounds on her hands. She definitely fought for her life. Yeah, um, She did not go down easily. And um, she, you know, she knew what was happening to her. She definitely knew what was happening. Yeah. We watched that episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn. Yes. And her sister was talking about how she saw the autopsy photos and it just killed her because you could see the wounds on her hands where she had held them up because she knew what was coming. And that's so sad. Yeah, Yeah, that was very sad. Six weeks before Mary's disappearance and murder, uh, 11-year-old Carolyn Hahn was also murdered 10 miles away. They said there was a lot of similarities between Mary and Carolyn's murder. They were both 11 at the time. They'd both been strangled and stabbed. Neither of them had any signs of sexual assault. They were both partially disrobed. So can you imagine what that did to the city? You know, within that amount of time, two 11-year-olds found stabbed, strangled, disrobed. I mean, as a mother, I can't imagine what that town was thinking, you know, with their children, you know, trying to protect their children. Right. So, Mary and Carolyn had never met. They weren't friends, but their fathers both worked for the same company at Young's Plumbing and Air Conditioner. So, those similarities really piqued the police's interest in what was going on, making sure that there was no connections between the two uh, just because their fathers worked at the same place, they were the same age, and they died the exact same way. Yeah. You know, and what are the coincidences in that? So, the crime scene details were turned over to the FBI to help them out, and their behavior analysis unit started working on the case. I am a big fan of the behavioral analysis unit. Yes. Shout out to Criminal Minds. <laughs> and uh, the agents were not able to find a link to mary and carolyn which is kind of weird bizarre with all of those similarities they said that there were inconsistencies that carolyn was murdered at home during the day and mary was murdered in the forest at night behind her apartments but the profile given by the fbi was very similar for the two killers which is also weird Uh, They said that both Mary and Carolyn were murdered by a high school-aged white male. I cannot even fathom (laughs) that. And he was operating within his comfort zone, and both were at high risk to reoffend. So really just putting the fire underneath those law enforcement agencies that are trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Right. This is where it gets really weird, because to me this sounds a lot like the Zodiac. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this well, part. all right. So, after many weeks of silence, the madman, quote unquote, ended up sending another letter to the police department. The second letter was received on December 3rd. It said, This time is soon coming that the madman will surrender his tool of death. The pain is more than I can stand. In time of truth, we will be opened for all to hear. The letter came with a clipping from the Baytown Sun newspaper story describing the discovery of Mary's body. Yeah. So, he was kind of taunting the police by sending them this letter basically telling them you know i'm gonna do it again which is right. what the fbi profiler said you know the right. high risk of them reoffending. um the third letter was received on december the 4th which was the next day and it said there will be another one before i die this letter came with a clipping of the baytown sun that said there was a ten thousand dollar reward offered for any information regarding mary's death 
So he's on a roll. Yeah, and he's like, "Hey, watch this." Right. Let me let me taunt you a little bit and show you what we have here. But again, with the episode of Paula's on that we had watched, also besides looking into this case, um, it showed pictures of the letters, which we can try to put into our clip notes. But it was very childlike handwriting. Yes. Very childlike handwriting. You know, misspelling. You know, it looked like it came from a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, the madman was unhappy with the progress of the investigation, and then he started sending more letters that were even more terrifying and kind of began this game of cat and mouse with the police officers. So, the fourth letter was received on December the 5th. It read, quote, The game begins now. Day by day will go forth. Get them right, and soon the name will appear. Get them wrong, and the price will be a life. Look out beyond the words and sentences, for only far beyond will be the answers. This time has passed from long ago, but a name remains. The name of the wearer of the heart against the truth of the feather. The genesis in this name holds the letter that belongs to mine. Twice do I write this, when my signature is written, once in the first and once in the last. Open thy eyes and see the progress unfold. Kind of mythical there with his writing. And again, as this letter kind of sounds like it's from an educated person right it's the the writing on it is just ridiculously unlegible almost right and these are just quotes from the letters not like we don't have the actual letters right. they haven't been released so these are just um quotes from right them. so we're unsure if that's all it said or if there was more but they did not release that since the police department knew nothing of the ancient lore, they consulted a local prosecutor named Ray Spence, who immediately recognized the madman's riddle as an allusion to the Egyptian myth in which a descendant's heart is weighed against a feather. Uh, those in possession of an organ heavy lies are devoured by the crocodile god. I have no idea what I just said right now, but that's what they, that's what the, the prosecutor said. So ultimately he ended up helping them kind of telling them, okay, this is where it's coming from. And, you know, that would kind of give them an idea of maybe where to start looking. Uh, right. Someone that's into the mythical, you know, uh, the Egyptian myth. Uh, investigators contacted the Baytown Sun. They told the Sun, you know, this madman is sending us these letters. He wants us to post them so everyone can see the answers. So they asked the editor to print the quote, Anubis. Mm-hmm. A N U B I S. On the front page of the paper without tipping off the townsfolk about the what they were doing. Right. So they were kind of doing it to appease the killer to kind of get more information to catch him, but didn't want to alert the city that the newspaper was posting something crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a little insane. Right. So the editor on December the 6th posted, police received unusual request. The article ended with the sentence, I understand reading between the lines, life after death in Anubis. So they were letting him know, we know what you're talking about now. Right. Man. So there was a slight problem with the police department's response, though. Prosecutor Sprees had correctly identified the origin of the reference myth. Um, He neglected to realize that the Egyptian myths covered over different centuries. Anubis weighed hearts only in the earliest Egyptian dynasties. By the Middle Kingdom, Anubis had been supplanted by Osiris. Osiris, Osiris, O S I R I S, ruler of the afterworlds. 
And then a fifth letter came in on December 7th, and it read, and don't forget to put that in the paper. Presumably, the name of Anubis was confirmed to be incorrect. So, he saw the paper, wasn't happy that they didn't put the correct quote in there, sent him another letter and said, hey, don't forget to add this. So, definitely the cat and mouse game. Okay, so Prosecutor Spreece then realized his mistake. Um, the next day, the Baytown Sun published the snippet in the front page gossip column. Robin Richards gets a first-class tour of Washington, D.C. Oma Jones goes to Osiris. So is that their way of like correcting it? Yes. Okay. Okay, since the madman had indicated that the first letter of the correct answer appeared once in his first name and once in his last, detectives now knew the letter O would appear in both the killer's given name and surname. Wow. Yeah. That's some good investigating there. Right. So the communications continued. The sixth letter was received on December the 9th. It read, quote, In the beginning, there was no land, but only a place ruled by his hand. The Romans worshipped him every day, even more so when they had to travel far away. His name serves your purpose, for the letter at the end comes in fourth in the first of mine. So he was trying to spell his name out to them using Egyptian myth. Yes. Wow. On December 10th, at the behest of the investigators... The front page around town column of the Baytown Sun featured a sentence invoking the Roman god of the sea. James Z. Bob sees the Poseidon adventure of the fourth time. Wow. Yeah. So although, you know, factually incorrect, Poseidon was the sea god worshipped by Romans, um, this was not the answer that the mad one was hoping for, and he had made it clear in his next message. So the seventh letter was received on December 10th, and it said, Don't make me angry again. Uh, Christmas will soon be here. It will be a shame to have to run that holiday. Love the madman. So, <laughs> yeah. At this point, he's pissed and he's not even using his mythological... Mytholic... What is the word? Mythological? Mythological! <laughs> <laughs> he's not using his mythological, you know, letters. Okay, so on a hunch, authorities then offered up the name of the Greek god of the sea instead. The next around town column featured the following sentence. Ben Gelman says it's going to be cold enough to freeze the tines of Neptune's trident. So detectives now knew that the letter E, the killer was playing Wheel of Fortune, the homicidal maniac edition. Pat, I'll take an A. (laughs) (laughs) So as the top brass at the police department, they, you know, back and forth on the mythology, a veteran detective, Harry Gore, decided he was going to do his own work, you know, on the grounds. The FBI profile said that Mary's killer was operating on his home turf. So he thought, well, why don't we just go over to the apartments and just kind of watch the apartments? And this is kind of where, what we were talking about, like, this is where they're investigating is so amazing for 1985. Absolutely, absolutely. Because they thought to set up, you know, surveillance around the apartments, and then ultimately they set up surveillance around the post office drop box that yeah. was close to the apartment. So the ploy was brilliant, and on December 11th, Detective Gore hit pay dirt. Uh, A teenage boy on his bicycle peered around nervously before slipping a letter into the slot of the surveillance mailbox. So, after the youth pedaled off on his bike, Detective Gore called the post employee, had him come out. Uh, Inside was an envelope featuring the madman's spiky handwriting, and the letter had appeared uh, that it was written prior to the viewing of the Neptune response in that day's edition of the Baytown Sun. So, the eighth letter that was, it was received on the 11th, it read... It is Wednesday, and there is no answer in the paper. I promised, and I shall, you will pay with another life, just like Mary Stiles. By Christmas night at midnight, there will be another one killed. There is but one way to change it, 
and that is to put in the paper by Friday the reason for not having the answers there and give the answers. Then do not forget my word is to say the same. Another will die. So basically, if you don't do what I tell you to and you don't correct what you messed up in the paper, I'm going to kill another kid by midnight. Right. So it was a ballsy kid. Yeah. The police were able to find surveillance video of the kid dropping the letter. Detective Gore was like, hey, let's just go to the high school. Mm -hmm. And he went up there and talked to the assistant principal, Charles Ray Polk, and he identified the kid as Joseph Lee Fordham. And he was 16. Wow. Yes. He was a Wood Hollow Complex resident, which was the same apartments that Mary and her family lived in. And was the stepbrother of Mary's best friend. So, it was all starting to come together. Right. So, they decided to start watching him 24 hours, um, surveilling him. And on the first day, they saw him depositing black garbage bags in the dumpster. (laughs) Going through trash, I think, is like the number one best way that they can solve some cases yes i mean i know we got dna and we got all this stuff but when you go through somebody's trash the things you will find are pretty astonishing i know it's a technique still used today as i've witnessed it so the detectives ended up retrieving the trash from the dumpster and it showed uh, copies of the riddles that they had been sending to that he had been sending to the police department um like where he had started the letter and then messed it up so he threw it away and it just kind of you know was more evidence Getting to where they needed to be. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, the next day, while Fordham was in school, they did a search warrant at his house, and they found an abundance of incriminating evidence, uh, including newspaper clippings, uh, books on mythology, bloodstained clothing, and a pocket knife, which would later be identified as the murder weapon. That's so crazy. It is crazy. So, his little reign of terror was over. Bye, Felicia. (laughs) Fordham was arrested the day uh, that day after he got off the school bus, and he was described as meek and hyper-religious. Imagine that. He was the product of a fractured family. His mother was an unemployed beautician on her fourth marriage, and his family unit featured a collection of half- and step-siblings. Which makes you wonder why he picked Mary when he had all these stepbrothers and sisters and not that I wish that they would have been the one but I mean he obviously had access to small children so he was shuttled back and forth between his mother you know the pick of the week and between relatives in Georgia Um, his life had not been untouched by tragedy three years previous his grandpa and his uncle had been slain in a family dispute by an irate in-law so he had already been exposed to murder and loss Mm -hmm. Um, although some recent accounts claim Fordham witnessed the murders um, his grandmother's trial testimony said that Fordham was vacationing in Florida when that happened. So thank God. I mean, yes. even though mm-hmm. you're a crazy psychotic individual, thank God you didn't have to see that. Exactly. Happen. Exactly. So an abundance of physical evidence tied Fordham to Styles' murder. He left palm print, four palm prints, and twenty-three fingerprints in his correspondence with the police, and they found several riddles in his room. They, but they were unable to find any connection to Carolyn Hahn. So, so that was the other little girl that was murdered. Right. Okay. Unbelievably, despite the uncanny similarities, the two crimes were not connected. Carolyn's killer was also found. He was a family friend. He confessed in 1988, and he's currently serving a 99-year term. So thank God that they found that killer, too. So that yeah. family got 
closure. Exactly. And I think, uh, too, in some of the story, they said that when they searched his locker at school, they did find the Egyptian myth book in there. Mm -hmm. So uh, it kind of helped get them back, give them the answers they needed as to where these letters were coming from, you know. And he he was reading the book, and I think there were even some... Pages that were, uh, you know, turned down and flagged for him that related to the letters that were sent to the police. So, yeah. they definitely knew that it was it was him. I mean, he was smart. I hate to say that, but he was. Yeah, he was. He ended up going to trial. He faced overwhelming forensic evidence and opted to pursue the insanity defense. Surprise, surprise. Right. So, in 1984, um, he was committed to a mental health ward in Houston. Diagnosed as suicidal and homicidal, his family had removed him from treatment against medical advice and discontinued his uh, medication upon his release. So, as if things weren't bad enough, his family said, oh, no, he's not crazy. Quit taking your medicine and you're going to get out of here. Right. And I wonder how they feel now. Um, I'm sure they, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Some people like that, though, Amy, you can't. You can't convince them, right. especially when it comes to their child. They will they will still, till this day, say that he did no wrong, you know. And I'm not saying they do, but I've seen right. a lot of parents whose children are horrible people, and they just stand by their side and say, no, my, there's nothing wrong with my child. He didn't See, do Kenneth it. McDuff. Yes, absolutely. That's our next book, y'all. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> um, so he declined to testify, and a defense psychiatrist wrote a copy of his confession, and, you know, he said it was the voices in his head jury had mixed feelings on that and he was convicted of aggravated murder after 10 hours of deliberation but when it was time to determine his sentence uh, the 12 men balked at sentencing him for life so he was ultimately only sentenced for 25 years and i can't he was eligible for 99 they gave him 25 right and again i think that's because of the way he looked and because he was he was a child he was yeah. 16 years old you know right and so they thought they wanted to give him another shot at life right his own defense psychiatrist said he is in need of quote in-depth and long-term psychological care he was back out on this on the streets in less than a decade it was yeah. eight years y'all prison overcrowding 1994 he was released right but his stint on parole was not Always great. In 98, he was returned to prison after moving out of state without notifying his parole officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, three months on the run in Indiana, he got an additional six years behind bars. Wow. Yeah. In 2004, he lived quietly with his grandmother in Georgia. And then 20 years after his first shuffle in the penitentiary, um, a period of his supervised release was due to expire on September 13th, 2014. So he did get 20 years of supervised... What's the word I'm looking for? Parole. I guess. Was that what it is? I is guess it, it was supervised 20 years release. total. So he was like in prison for a certain amount of years and then the rest was supervised. Yes. So he had supervised for up to 20 years and that was going to expire September 13th, 2014. But in August of 2014, he texted his supervisor at the Bluebird plant in Fort Valley, Georgia and reported he would not be returning to work. He then turned off his cell phone and went off the grid. Um, they searched for him, and he was kind of low priority because he's an adult. But they did put out an all-points bulletin for him as a missing parolee. Um, Deputy Jeff Simpson told the Baytown Sun, with his past history, we're just taking precautions. We don't want a Baytown here in Cochrane, Georgia, meaning they didn't want another murder right. happening. Right. I don't blame them. Exactly. So... Um, three days later, he was observed making a cash withdrawal from his ATM. 
So three days later, Fordham was observed making a cash withdrawal at an ATM uh, approximately 30 miles from his home in a check of area parking lots, unearthed his 2012 Dodge Avenger at a nearby Warner Robins Comfort Inn. So when deputies from the U.S. Marshal's office entered Fordham's hotel room, they literally interrupted him mid-suicide attempt. Um, His self-inflicted wounds were superficial, and apparently the madman had found himself much harder to kill than the 11-year-old girl. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So he was, again, shipped off to prison, but it wasn't for long. And according to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, he is back out on the streets. Yep. And that was as of 2014 that he had the suicide attempt, so. Right. The article that I read about this, it was Mary's sister, Carrie, that talked to Paula Zahn, mm-hmm. you know, for on the case with Paula Zahn. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to, like, kind of include some of the stuff that she talked about because it was really... Really sad, but really interesting. Yeah. So, Carrie is now a journalist at the San Antonio Express News. And she said, During the time after his arrest, another thing made it so scary for us. Our lives and the apartment we were living in were completely inundated by the media. Reporters from all around the nation were covering the story. But I learned and understood how important it was to share information and that journalists had to display compassion when they spoke to people about hard subjects. That's like, Dad, like you... I mean, it's amazing that she took that to heart, and that's what she's doing now. Um, She was a freshman in high school at the time and decided that she would become a journalist. She said, I always was a writer and a storyteller, and I wanted to do something that would make my sister proud. For decades, she struggled with coming to terms with her feelings about Mary's killer. They obviously felt that the 25-year sentence was way too lenient for him. I don't blame him. And um, they were even more upset at the fact that he was released early due to prison overcrowding. I mean... They were already pissed he only got 25 years, but then he only served eight. Right. So, I can't imagine as a family what they felt. And uh, kudos to her dad for not going and finishing him off because I can't guarantee that my family wouldn't do that. I know. (laughs) And, you know, as much as I love Texas, their prison system with this whole overcrowding thing is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is. So, you know, Carrie said that within the last decade, she was finally able to find Joseph Fordham because he was a minor at the time. It was very hard to locate him. But she wanted to make sure that he wouldn't hurt another child. So she was able to track down his grandmother. And she really tried to keep regular tabs on him to see whether his names popped up in the headlines. You mm-hmm. know? So uh, finally in 2014, she recalled she was at her job at the Express News and up pops this picture of an adult. And he's on the lamb and the marshals were looking for him. And she said she was confused because she knew that he would be off parole in just a few days. So, you know, I don't know if that really helped him you know, do that before he was off parole. He's still a free man today, and he shouldn't be. Right. Not long after seeing this, she got a call that she was waiting for, and that said they found him in a hotel room. He had attempted to kill himself. Through his parole officer, she was able to get a question to Fordham, which I think it's kind of cool that the parole officer would kind of work with her Mm -hmm. for that. And she wanted to know why, just before he would be a free man, he decided he wanted to commit suicide, and... She said that the answer changed her life. She said that he said it just wasn't long enough, meaning the punishment he'd received for her sister's murder. So even he knew he shouldn't be out. Right. It's just, ugh. So she said it was then that she found peace with the whole situation. And in an interview for On the Case with Paula Zahn, she said, I forgave him. It felt powerful, and it felt like an incredible weight off my shoulders. Zahn stressed how Styles' experience impacted her work as a reporter in Texas and other states before she came to the Express News. 
Showing clippings of her work, Paula Zahn said, Carrie Stiles continues to inspire by her sister. Her homicide stories have become renowned for the compassion they show to victims' families. So, who better to write about the loss of your loved one than someone who's been through that? Yeah. You know? So That's amazing. She, she really knows, I'm sure, how to word them and reach the family. Because, you know, when someone loses somebody, we want, you know, there's so many things you want to say and you want to do to comfort them. But sometimes you just feel like words aren't enough. Yeah. You know, like no matter what I say or what I do, I've never been in their shoes. It's not going to be enough. But she has actually been in their shoes. Mm -hmm. And so her words, I'm sure, are very uh, touching and inspiring. Right. And I definitely like, I don't know why I didn't think of it, but I'm totally going to go try to find some of her articles. Yeah, we should. I bet they're really good. Yep, absolutely. Well, I mean, weren't we in the San Antonio Express? We were. All right. So (laughs) maybe we should just reach out to her and tell her to send us some of her articles. That way we can share them. I bet she would. Yep, that would be really good. So, in the interview, they also spoke of the impact that the terrible tragedy has had for her and for her family. She said, it changes you forever. I always was an overprotective mother and, and smothering, but I know how difficult the world could be. I have three teenage daughters, and they've always known about their aunt. She said they also visit Mary at the cemetery in Missouri where she was buried, which I don't know why she was buried in Missouri. I wonder if maybe that's where the whole family's from. Well, there's Missouri City down there, too. Yeah. Could it be Missouri State or in Missouri City? It didn't say Missouri City, okay. so I'm, I we'll don't know. We'll clarify that. Right. Um, but she did say that Halloween is no longer a dark day because she had her daughter Shelby on Halloween, so now she can actually celebrate it, which I think is amazing. I do, too. I do, too. And I'm sure someone upstairs had something to do with that. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And she said that they, I mean, know her. You know, they know Mary just right. because of everything that Carrie has said about her. So, I think that's really awesome. Yeah, definitely passing that down to your children and making sure they know what a great person she was. Even though she's not here and they weren't able to meet her. Yeah. So, I think that's great. But That's our story. I hope y'all liked it. I and tell too. us if you like the way we did it. Because yes. we kind of changed it up. Yes. And this isn't, it wasn't very long. But with us trying the new way of doing this, I didn't really want to do a long one either. Because right. we want to get y'all's feedback and make sure y'all like this. So, Anywho, we're not sure what our next story will be, but we should be getting it up shortly. Mm-hmm. Any ideas, Amy? What's the next we one? have so many that we're Me both. Too. Like, we find one and we're like, okay, this is going to be great. And then we hear about something else and we're like, oh, we need to do this. <laughs> yes. So, it's so hard. It is hard. It's just kind of what comes up at the right time to say, okay, we're going to do this one now. Right. Wow. And I want to give a quick shout out mm-hmm. for Real Life, Real Crime. It's Woody Overton in Louisiana. He's new. He has three episodes out now, but his first episode was really rough. Yes, it is. It's, um, yeah, it, it's about children, the crimes against children, and it, it's horrible. But I like the fact that he is the investigator that works the case. So he's telling things that you just don't hear. Like, Jessica and I can tell the same story and you won't get as much because he actually worked it and we right, didn't. Right. The second and the third episodes are great. They're not <laughs> nearly as rough as that one. So, I just, I do, he has been amazing. You know, he's new to the whole thing. And, you know, I kind of reached out to him and said, hey, you know, this, I really, you know, I hated the story. But I, I thought it was amazing that you had so much info on it. And he actually shouted us out too and i think that that's really cool absolutely that's something yeah that- so if you can get past the first one don't judge it off of that go ahead and put in for the second one and the third one because um it sometimes those 
episodes take special people to listen to and if you can't listen to it then turn it off yeah but he does warn you and he lets you know yes and then move on to a second episode because um the narrating's really well the way he puts the story out is really well, and it's really easy to listen to. Yes. So, yes. Um, I, I agree with, with Amy on that. So, yes, give Woody a shout. Go like him on Facebook. Yes, go he does have a subscribe. closed Facebook account. Oh, he does? But, Good. Um, you can just request it, and he'll add you in. Yes. Do we have any uh, iTunes ratings, any new ones? Oh, you know, I do. First, can I play this one recording yes. really quick? Yes, go okay. ahead. Shout out to Luke. Here we go. So this is something that Luke has done <laughs> before we even started the podcast. So we're just going to play it because this is what he has always sung, sang, sang? said, said. Anyways, um, here you go. 1096 Crime Chicks. What, what? 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 <laughs> so, Thanks, Luke. You're welcome because you will all now have that song stuck in your head. You sure will because <laughs> I definitely always do when I hear it. Okay, we do have one review and it's kind of based off of what we talked about, about how we do this. So I'm going to read it. It's from Daphne B99. Um, she said, good was the title for it. And mm-hmm. she said, I want to like this podcast, but it's difficult. The sound is terrible. They sound like they are in a tunnel. It sounds like they are reading directly from their research finds. So we're trying to fix that yes, for you, Daphne. we're changing that. It would be nice if they would make some changes as they trip over and mispronounce words. I do like the banter between the ladies. <laughs> I mean, thank God for that. <laughs> Daphne, I cannot promise you that I'm going to be saying the big words right. Um, because that's just not what I do. But I will try. Um, We are definitely trying to change up how we don't sound like we're reading from our research material. And some stuff, hopefully y'all understood that we had to read, like the quotes and the letters and stuff for this. And, you know, we had, I had a lady on one of the podcast pages, you know, she didn't know who I was. And she said, you know, I just don't like the banner between them. We know we're not going to be liked, you know, not by everybody. There are going to be people out there who do not like our style, who do not like our sound. Um, but we are literally two girls who just wanted to do this for fun and talk about crime. And we're literally sitting in my room right now on my bed recording this while my kids are outside playing. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't have a studio. We don't have the heavy equipment. We don't have all of that. This is just something we do for fun. So, I mean, we want to be liked, but we understand there are going to be some. Yeah. just, we're not their cup of tea. It's not so, for everybody. Exactly. And guess what? That's okay. Exactly. You're not offending us. Nope. And we can just... Agree to disagree. Absolutely. So, so we hope that we helped you out there, Daphne. We hope that you give, give us another shot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Try us out. See what you think about this one. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that is it for today. Stay tuned for new episodes coming up shortly um, in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And send us some suggestions. Send us some ratings. Send us some advice. Yes. We are open to take it all. Yes. And we have our Facebook 1096 Crime Chicks podcast. We have Twitter at 96 Crime and our Gmail is 1096 Crime Chicks at gmail.com. Yep. So shoot us an email. We like emails. Yes. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Petrochemical. Uh, Petrochemic. Petrochemical.
I'm signing as a petro criminal. <laughs> um, you're killing me with the ums. I'm going to have to delete okay, all those. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we don't, you don't have to delete them all. It happens. <laughs> and it's uh, asphyxiated. It's what? Okay. Asphincter says what? <laughs> this, after many weeks of silence, the madman uh, also sent... Okay, I'm going to start that over because it sounded stupid. Sorry, we have a crying kid. Stand by. Let's <laughs> go see who's mad. Slamming doors. What happened, bud? Oh. I tried. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, hit dirt. A teenage boy on a bicycle peered out furtively. Oh, furtively? Did I say fruit? Why don't you just say um, he peered around nervously? Nervously. Maybe okay. I you should. You know, I don't do big words. <laughs> Fabulous. 